the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark chapter 13. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, and all will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. But this is the beginning of the birth pains, the gospel of the Lord. You You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, you make us aware of what is important, what is true religion, and what the end times will be for everyone. Be with us in your grace. Amen. So we have a text today about the end times, and part of it started last week. The disciples were listening to Jesus as he pointed out what was given in the temple. A large amount or a small amount, it rang through and they paid attention and Jesus said, she who has put in the penny has put in all more than what anyone else has given. She has given her life. And so now they're leaving the temple and the disciples walk outside and they see these great stones. So the text reminds me of the story that you all know. The optimistic boy woke up one day on his birthday looked outside, and he saw a great big pile of manure. He ran downstairs, grabbed a shovel, and started happily shoveling away. Friend said, what are you doing? And the boy says, I know there's got to be a pony in there someplace. So the end times are like that pile of manure. And the pony is that promise of a new creation. Carolyn Lewis says, what large stones and what large buildings. If you have ever been to the Holy Land, you know just how big those stones really are. I have a picture of me standing in front of the Herodian block of stone, far, far taller than I. 
And then she makes a side comment, of course you all know how tall I am. Massive, impressive. No wonder the disciples were amazed, she says. I was. And suddenly the story made sense. Suddenly I was completely understood. The astonishment of the disciples. What large stones. We love the bold. We love the big. We love the better. The disciples are no different than we, and we are no different than the disciples. We like splendor and grandeur. We are drawn to the biggest and the best, the most influential, the most powerful, the most almost anything. But we are like those disciples, and they are like us. Different attractions, same amazement. What large stones? We noticed the big, the great. But we're not always so quick to ask, what's behind that greatness? The first impression is, what great stones? The second thought is, they took widows' homes. What large stones? There is a sacrifice. Sometimes the sacrifice is freely given. When we put our skills to a job and we sacrifice time and energy and money to accomplish it. It's a good thing. But sometimes it's not freely given. What large stones that built the temple, how many widows paid for it. So what large stones is a statement of faith but it's a faith we have to examine. The greatness of the temple against the smallness of the offering of the widow. What's great in God's kingdom is not always great in our kingdom. The scribes and their injustice eating up widows' homes taking everything, waiting for justice. So this prophecy was not really about the end, although we know that there's end language, but it's about a new beginning. It's about suffering and tribulation, but it's about God's glory and the future that God is building, not within the walls, but the community, the community of those early followers of Jesus, the community of love, the community of promise, beyond the suffering that they are experiencing. 
The end times are not there to foretell the future, but to encourage us to be faithful. So what do we do while we're waiting for the end times to end and a new beginning to begin? We proclaim and we receive persecution. It says they will proclaim the good news or will they go hide? Those early years, the church was persecuted and the church grew. Today, in America, the church is neither persecuted nor growing. It's a question of faith to ask ourselves. But we are to be alert and we're to be watchful. We're to rely fully on God. And when all of that is going on, we are to care for our neighbors as ourselves. Earthquakes, wars, famines. We're not to let the widows, the orphans, or others on the margin suffer. We're not just to go off and wring our hands reacting to everything that goes across the TV, our tweets, our Facebook. We are to be the people of God. And we're to be in this world right here, right now, loving our neighbor. And in that, we make a statement that everything will be all right. It doesn't mean we do nothing. It means that we know that God is in control. When children fall down and blood's all over the place, parents just don't say everything will be all right. Trip to the hospital, bandages, antibiotics, medicine cabinet. Parents do all they can to be right for their children. Will there be life on this planet in another hundred or thousand years? The one who created the planet says, everything will be all right. How can I make ends meet when more bills are coming in than income? Everything will be all right, says the God of promise. I'm having surgery tomorrow, I'm scared. Everything will be all right, says the God of faith. The test for cancer came back positive. Everything will be all right, the God of life, right now and eternally. My brother was just sent to the war zone. Everything will be all right, says the God of peace. My mother just died. Everything will be all right, says the God of the end times. That is a hope. That is a promise. That 
is God in control. At the end of the text, actually in the next paragraph past the end, Jesus says, endure to the end and you will be saved. And those early Christians were persecuted and put to death. But even in death, even in the end time for that person, everything will be all right. When I make hospital calls and when I'm sitting beside someone dying, there's a prayer that God will heal. God will make everything all right. And sometimes that prayer is restoration of life. And sometimes that prayer is an eternal healing. But either way, we are in God's hands. We all know about end times. We all know that that phone call comes. Startling news. The realization that the world has ended that day. It ends at least on how we know it. We all have an end time. Grandpa Bob had his. It was a surprise. But at a hundred, you would think you would be ready. But it came as a surprise. His end time, his end world. And in many ways, it came too soon. So what do we do as Christians with the end time, with wars and famines and earthquakes and fires? We put ourselves in service to God and to neighbor. There will always be another storm, another shooting, another earthquake, which means there will always be a neighbor to love, to care for those without food and shelter, love beyond love in the most desperate times. Jesus gave a vague answer as when to God would renew the world, but he made it clear, love your neighbor. We're being invited to work. Right after this passage starts the long passion of Jesus, his suffering and death. And so the message for that early community, be prepared. If Jesus was to suffer and die, then they should be prepared for suffering, to support one another, to give witness to the truth of God's love, to give hope and encouragement in faith for whatever we face. Are you among the people who are being made holy by the work of Christ? 
then relax. Your sins are forgiven. He has made us holy in his sight. Amen.